From WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Close to Home, the podcast that explores the people, issues, and institutions in the Catskill Mountains, the heart of small-town America. I'm your host, Leif Johansson. Hey, thanks for tuning in. In our last episode, we talked about the state of food insecurity in the Catskills, and we heard an update from Audrey Garrow, the executive director of the Sullivan County-based nonprofit A Single Bite, which is working to connect local people to local food. And A Single Bite does programming with some of our middle schools in the area to educate students about nutrition. But the most school-based connection that students generally have with food during their K-12 years is in their school cafeterias. So today, we're talking about school lunches. And I want to know how school food service staff pump out hundreds or even thousands of meals each day, what rules and regulations they have to follow, and how these meals are evolving over time. To get the inside scoop, I recently sat down with a local expert on the subject. My name is Dara Smith. I'm the Sullivan West Central School District Food Service Director and School Lunch Manager. For starters, I wanted to know what a day in Dara's life looks like at Sullivan West. Well, um, when I arrive, we get ready to serve breakfast right away. My office is in the elementary school building. You might hear some noise in the background because school's getting ready to dismiss now, so there's going to be some, you know, <laughs> kids screaming down the hallway, etc. But, you know, we start out our day getting ready to serve breakfast. And as what we, time is that in the morning usually? Um, staff generally arrive by 8 a.m. And the, the students start arriving by bus and parent drop-offs drop shortly after that. And um, we start serve breakfast for probably about 45 minutes, so around 9 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes there's some late buses and we have to be ready for that, be prepared to serve some kids that arrive late. Um, right after that, we start rolling into uh, lunch preparations. Now, we have um, our main kitchen that is at the high school in Lake Huntington, and that's where our head cook is, and all the uh, major cooking is done um, in that and satellited here, uh, transported here um, via a warming oven, and uh, a trailer on the back of the truck. And uh, so that arrives every day, depending on what the meal is. Um, yeah, so like uh, on a very busy day, for example, um, we, we're planning on doing, you know, a hot turkey dinner. We're utilizing local foods. And so the hot meal will arrive, the turkey, the gravy, the mashed potatoes, and all the vegetables already cooked and ready to be served at the elementary school. And simultaneously, the staff at the high school will be serving the same meal. In addition to all the other things we offer every day, including sandwiches, there's a sandwich menu, uh, daily sandwich menu, plus PDJ is served every single day. Um, it's still a very top and hot item, I have to say. I, 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 I do love peanut butter and jelly myself, so I can understand why. It's, uh, you know, it's a staple of school lunch from the time I was in school, and I'm sure way before I was in school till the present day, peanut, peanut butter and jelly rules. So, yeah, so it's a very, very busy, very hectic operation during that time period. 
Um, people are, you know, especially our, our seasoned professionals, they know exactly what they have to do. It's amazing what they can accomplish in a short period of time. You know, making 100 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in addition to making the other sandwiches of the day, which range from a turkey sandwich, a ham sandwich, to an Italian sub, uh, chicken tender wraps, uh, depending on the day. Um, yeah, so we're really, really busy. When I was in elementary school at Sullivan West, for whatever reason, what sticks in my mind from being in like kindergarten or first grade was that there were salami sandwiches. And I thought that was the best thing on planet Earth. <laughs> you know what's funny? I love the salami sandwich too. <laughs> do they still serve them? Well, not really. I mean, we do an Italian sub, but it's made with um, a healthier version. It's made with turkey products. So it's, you know, lower in saturated fats and it's also lower in sodium content. So it's a healthier version of that. Yeah. I'm curious if these are part of any regulations that come from the state or federal government or if, or if this is something that the school takes on as an initiative itself. Yes, well, it is a from the federal government, the USDA, changed the meal pattern for school meals for breakfast and for lunch. So they changed the formulation of what we serve each day, depending upon the grade group of the students that we're preparing food for. So, uh, for example, you know, we have to serve fruits and vegetables every single day, and a student has to take either a fruit or vegetable serving minimum portion serving for it to be what's called a reimbursable meal. So what that means is that school lunch programs generally survive by reimbursable meals. So we serve a meal and at the end of the month, those meals accumulate to a total number for the month and we bill the state for those meals served Mm. and we get a reimbursement sent to us every month for those meals served. So in order for the meal to count, certain things have to happen. We have to serve, and the student has to take a minimum of three items from three different component groups, one being a, a fruit or a vegetable, and they can take up to five. So they can take one item from each component group. So there's there's meat, meat alternate group, there's the milk, there's fruit and vegetable, and grain. So it can get a little confusing sometimes for kids and for even the adults and the seasoned professionals serving the meals because you look at an item like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, for example, the peanut butter is the meat meat alternate and the bread is the grain. So that's two component groups in one item or any other sandwich for that matter. So it's a, it's a cheese sandwich. The cheese is the meat meat alternate and the bread is the grain group. So for everything that you're preparing, every meal, every ingredient, does all of that get reported back to New York State? Well, we have to keep, by law, production records. So basically, it's it's a document that we say how many of each item we prepare. So if we're, for example, serving um, spaghetti and meat sauce, we'd have to say how many servings of spaghetti and meat sauce we're planning to serve how many we actually served and how many servings are left over, how many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches we're making for the day, how many we actually serve and how many are left over. So that that is a document that we keep and it also has to match up with our electronic reporting. So, you know, basically you can't claim more than you served. Is the full cost for each meal that adheres to current USDA regulations 
able to be reimbursed from the state then, or, or is that just some part of the cost? Well, right now we are in a situation where we are not uh, serving free meals for every student. And we are reimbursed a certain dollar amount for a free meal, a certain dollar amount for a paid meal. So the difference would come from the student and the student's family who's paying for the, the difference between uh, the reimbursement, which isn't very much. I want to say it's like 80 or 90 cents for a paid meal that we get reimbursed and then the difference coming from the student family. A paid, a free meal is $4 and I think I have a note here somewhere. Last year it was $4 and 39 cents. So um, I think it went up slightly, but not much. In the revenue that is brought in from students and staff and faculty who pay for breakfast and lunch each day, what share of the total costs of Sullivan West food services ends up getting covered by the revenue that is brought in because school lunches tend to be pretty cheap still. Yeah, they are pretty cheap. We try to offset costs by selling a la carte items, snacks, and it's that's also regulated as well. We have to sell snacks that are within the smart snack guidelines, which are set forth by the USDA. So those snacks that we sell have to be under 200, ca- 200 calories or less and the first ingredient of those snack items has to be a whole grain, uh, a fruit or a vegetable, or a, a low-fat or fat-free dairy ingredient. So they, and now there's new regulations that recently came out lowering sodium content for foods and also addressing sugar, added sugar content in foods. How many individuals are typically being served breakfast and lunch each day between the two? Schools. Breakfast, we probably serve upwards of uh, 180 to 200 breakfasts a day between okay. both buildings. During lunch, depending what the lunch is, you know, because there's certain things that are more popular than other things. Um, depends. It could be 500 uh, lunches a day, between four and 500 lunches a day. And some days it could even be more, depending, again, what, what it is. Pizza is very popular. Pizza Friday. Um, you know, and then the other the other kid-friendly items that, you know, are in, in demand every time we offer them is, you know, chicken nuggets, although we do a healthier version of a chicken nugget these days, and a chicken patty made with white meat and uh, whole grain coating. So, you know, they're compliant with the, the guidelines of the program. A lot of them, the companies that are manufacturing now are reducing the sodium content, so they're also um, compatible with the meal pattern. Yeah, so a lot of the manufacturers that we deal with are, are spe- you know, some of them actually specialize in school nutrition foods. That's that makes things a lot easier too. While staying within these nutrition guidelines from the USDA, how do you go about the process of designing a menu, and what is the actual process of, of menu development like for you and your team? I do it on a monthly basis, but I also take into consideration. Um, the items that I'm getting in from USDA, because every year we get a certain dollar amount of commodity, USDA commodity foods that were, it's called an entitlement. Um, you know, say this district receives around $30,000 of USDA entitlement food. So uh, a, wide, a wide array of food items, you know, from fruits and vegetables to all kinds of proteins, you know, beef and chicken and uh, cheeses. Um, and also, this is something that um, the district orders a year in advance. So the items that we're getting in 
you know, we ordered last year. So we're getting them in, you know, on a uh, biweekly basis, um, you know, canned fruits. And we also participate in what's called the Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Pilot Program um, that we can use our USDA entitlement dollars to buy fresh produce, which we've increased our the amount of entitlement we're, we're dedicating to that effort because kids love the fresh the fresh produce, which is, that's a great, great thing. How does that work with getting fresh produce? Is it coming from local farms and whatnot? Do you have connections with different local suppliers? Yes, actually we are, we are part of the, there's a farm to school, um, local foods for school grant that we are participating in. Um, the money, the money uh, is coming from the federal government as well for that. And we're able to spend those dollars on local foods. Um, so we do have a network of um, local uh, suppliers that are dealing with local farms and gathering their products that they have on a seasonal basis and providing us a weekly price list from which we can order. So, you know, like we like to do seasonal stuff, um, you know, because number one, it's readily available and the price point is much lower than it would be any other time of the year. Like right now, potatoes, squashes, cabbage, all those types of things are readily available and the price point is, is much lower. Like also certain fruits are very popular with kids. For example, grapes and grapes are in season right now. So, you know, we're able to get them in at a lower price point than we would at any other time of the year. Also, keep in mind that we have to only purchase products of the U.S. We're concentrating on buying New York State because the push for farm to school and local products. But in general, the rule of the National School Lunch Program is we have to only purchase products of the United States of America. Mm. So sometimes you can't get certain things certain time of the year uh, grown in the United States. Like, for example, watermelon. You're not going to get uh, a fresh watermelon in January grown in the United States. So some of these items, like the local items, it sounds like get ordered just a few weeks in advance while others get ordered a year in advance. Is that right? I do a weekly order for food and produce. Then there's, like I said, there's uh, there's Food Hub, the Food Hub in Sullivan County, which is run by Single Bite right now. We're working with them and they're dealing um, with very local farmers mm. and then there's Hudson Harvest is another clearinghouse and source for local products. So we're dealing with them. And then our produce supplier has a lot of New York State products available. And they are concentrating because there's such a push in school nutrition to buy local. You know, we're seeing, you know, through a lot of effort on everybody concerned to make that this happen and seeing the value of, you know, you know, you're buying food that has to travel across the country. By the time you get it, it doesn't taste as good as something that, you know, traveled in 10 miles down the road. seen a change in the share of students who are on free or reduced lunch in the last five, ten years, or, or maybe even since COVID? Um, I would say there's been an uptick in, in mm. more people applying for or receiving 
automatic free meals. Yeah, I would say. Dara's right. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, in the fiscal year 2022, 30.1 million students, which reflects over 60% of all public school students in the United States, received a free or reduced price lunch through the National School Lunch Program. This is a significant increase since the years before the pandemic. And, you know, you can see the trend around the county. A lot, most of the school districts in, this, in Sullivan County have CEP. And here's that's another thing. We are going to be applying for community eligibility provision, which basically makes um, meals free for all students, regardless of income. Is that a, a New York State program? Um, this is a federal program. And up until recently, you had to meet a certain criteria. You had to have a minimum of 40%, what's called direct certified matching. So you 40% of your student body would have to be certified for free meals directly through data that is comes from the state government. So basically, they would be students that are receiving some other kind of benefit like SNAP or Medicaid. So that would qualify them automatically for free meals. Now, um, they reduced the threshold from 40% to 25%. And in addition, the state of New York last year uh, dedicated, I believe it was $134 million to supplement school districts that don't meet the, the threshold to have be reimbursed 100% at free. So the districts will be made whole now, which is excellent. Previously, for example, if you didn't make 62.5% match students, your district would not be reimbursed 100% of the free meal rate. Remember I told you earlier, like the free meal is reimbursed at $4.50, say. Yeah. Um, if you didn't make that 62.5% um, of certain percentage of your students, would you'd be reimbursed at the paid rate, which is like 80 cents, which is a big difference. So this helps school districts be able to stay in the black, you know, and, you know, not have a loss. Because, you know, it's a struggle, especially when we had supply chain issues and things, the cost of things went skyrocketing uh, every other week, um, we would have an increase in our bid pricing. Now, that's the other thing. We, we have to do bidding on all our products. You know, we put out a formal bid, um, our, our milk and our food and our bread and everything is, is a formal bid process. And in a lot of companies, because of what was happening, they built in what's called an escalator clause. So if the market got tight and they were, it was costing them more money, they passed the cost on to us. So it was kind of crazy. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so this went up 20 cents a case. This went up, you know, every week. And, you know, it's difficult if your, your set reimbursement doesn't change, but your costs are going up. Now, I know we're getting in the weeds here, but you heard that right. The food services team doesn't buy ingredients the way you or I would or even in the way a lot of restaurants would. Instead, they bid on food, and they often do it in conjunction with other school districts in the area to help lower prices by ordering in bulk together from one supplier. Dara explains it like this. You basically say you're, you're interested in buying 100 cases of apple juice, for example. You would say 100 cases in six months. So they would take that, who's doing the bid, we have, use an outside service that handles our bidding, DCM Logosis, and they put that together with all the other districts that are participating in that bid. And they say, end up with, say, um, 
say it's a thousand cases of apple juice. So this company says, okay, well, for that volume, I could offer the cases of apple juice at this price. And that's the bid price. And so basically for the next six months, I would order apple juice at that rate. But then the next bid cycle, similarly, you put in a rec, but prices went up. So now their bid price goes up. What do you feel that, broadly speaking, the mission of food services at Sullivan West, particularly, or, or maybe at public schools in the U.S. more broadly, is? Well, I think it goes hand in hand with uh, learning and education because, you know, you have students and we don't know, you know, what everybody's home life is like. Um, and, and if somebody is hungry and they, they need to eat something, otherwise they can't concentrate on what's going on in the classroom, I think it's really important that we're here for them and we provide them with a healthy uh, meal to get them through the day so that they can, um, you know, do the mission at hand of becoming educated. Um, and, you know, we take that very seriously. You know, we uh, really care about our students um, and we like to, you know, see their faces every morning when they come in for breakfast and we greet them with a smile and, you know, ask them how they're doing and what would you like for breakfast today? What would you like for lunch today? Um, yeah, so I think it's all part, part and parcel of, of school in general. So if we could suddenly make you school food services czar and you could wave your hand and change any policy, invest whatever you wanted to in anything and no one could stop you from doing that. What would you do to be able to meet that mission even more effectively? Well, I think maybe if uh, we're required to do, you know, serve this meal pattern. And I think if they were able to maybe supply more funding, you know, so that wouldn't have to be so restrictive because, you know, like today I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, planning for this, uh, turkey dinner that we're, we're, we want to do. And, you know, it's a great price that we were able to receive. But still, you know, if you look at the math of it, um, the cost of the meal is really going to probably be above or right at the, the level of what our reimbursement is going to be. So, so I mean, you know, farm to school is big, but there's a little bit of a gap in, in that. So we could always use more funding. And, you know, mandates are difficult sometimes to to me, so more education for staff, training. I think that, you know, they do an amazing job, but the more educated they are, the better that they can serve the student body. Um, you know, I would, I would like to see that. And I mean, I think that they're on the right track with the meal pattern. Um, I know sometimes it's, it can be a little bit cumbersome because now they're looking at additional sugar. And I, and I agree that, you know, added sugar can be a problem, but, you know, we're having a difficult time finding items that are, will be compliant with the lower sodium that requirements that, that we have to now deal with. So I think that, you know, that the understanding of the difficulties that we encounter every day is necessary as well. I don't know. I would just like to feed every kid, you know, I let, I, you know, without any question. And also, I think nutrition education is really, really important because there's a lot of kids that they come in and they're not used to eating fruits and vegetables at home. It's hard for them to you know, come in and eat it here. They're like, I don't like vegetables. That's a key part of this program. You know, they have to have a fruit or vegetable on their tray. And sometimes we're finding that, 
you know, kids are just like taking something because they have to take it and they're maybe not eating it. So, you know, encouraging kids and to know about, you know, how healthy, uh, healthy food is good for your body and how your body responds to it. And you learn and grow and excel more when you fuel yourself up with good food. So I think education is really important, nutrition education. Is there anything else that you would want the community to know about our food services program in the school district? Sometimes people tell me, oh, school lunch, it's it's not good. or And, um, you know, I think that people have uh, memories of their childhood and, and school lunch. And, you know, like you mentioned your positive memory of your salami sandwich, which you absolutely loved. And people always, you know, people talk about, you know, they joke about you. What is that stuff that was on the toast or whatever? You know, they like, I don't mystery meat or, you know, those kind of jokes that are common. But, you know, we actually put out a really good product every day. Um, we're proud of what we do. Um, we follow the guidelines to a T. So our meals are nutritionally sound. Um, I don't know that people know that and how much food a, a child can take. You know, like I was mentioning, your five component items, uh, uh, five items on, on their tray. So, for example, for, um, you know, a turkey dinner, for example, you, they can take the serving of turkey, a serving of mashed potatoes, a dinner roll, a vegetable, a fruit. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into a meal. It's all on there. We got it going on. think that this is one of the more illuminating conversations that I've had on this program. I cannot believe how complicated it is to run our public school food services, particularly given that folks in Dara's position need to juggle federal health regulations, district budgetary constraints, staffing shortages, multi-district food bidding, supply chain issues, and the list just keeps going. And I think that if I knew any of this when I was a student standing on the lunch line at Sullivan West, I would have looked at my tray with a whole new level of appreciation and respect for the needle that has to get threaded every single day to bring nutrition to students, faculty, and staff in our public schools. So a big thank you to Dara Smith, not only for taking the time to chat on today's episode, but for all she does for her school community as well. I'm Leif Johansson, and this is Close to Home, a podcast from WJFF Radio Catskill. Have a great week, and if you have a second, try to thank someone who's working behind the scenes to make your life better. It just might make their week a bit better, too. <laughs>